Hi, my name's Ian. I have the pleasure of leading our Cardiff North site with my wife, Sophie, and we absolutely love our community in North Cardiff. And we love this church, and I'm excited to be sharing with you today. Now, last week we celebrated Easter, the pinnacle of the Christian calendar. It's a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and everything that means. And last Sunday, James shared a wonderful Easter message, didn't he? He talked about how Jesus brings change, how he turns doubt into faith, how he turns disillusionment into joy, emptiness into fullness, momentary into everlasting, how he turns sinners into saints. And I want to return to this principle, this idea that Jesus brings change and explore it a bit more with you today. We're going back into Luke 24 and we're going to take a look at what happened when two disciples had an encounter with the risen, risen Jesus and the change that came as a result of their encounter with him. So let's pick up the story in Luke 24, verse 13. If you've got a Bible with you, then turn there with me. If you don't, then feel free to follow the verses as they appear on the screen. Now, in my Bible, this passage is entitled On the Road to Emmaus. And it begins with these four words, now that same day. And here Luke is making it clear that what we're about to read takes place on the same day as the resurrection and the discovery of the empty tomb. So let's read it, starting in verse 13. Here goes. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the empty tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him.
In this passage, we have an account of a journey. It begins with two of Jesus' followers walking along a road, heading for a village called Emmaus. Now, it's clear that these two disciples were not part of Jesus' inner circle. They weren't part of the 12 who were closest to Jesus. These two would have been among a much wider group of people following Jesus during his earthly ministry before his death. We know that one of them is called Cleopas, but we don't even know the name of the other disciple. So they're leaving Jerusalem, and we know from the story that they're troubled and disappointed by the events that have unfolded. Verse 17 says that their faces were downcast. And they're trudging, trudging along towards Emmaus, which is probably the village where they're originally from. And it seems as if all was lost. This man they believed to be the Messiah, who would save them and redeem Israel from the oppression of the Romans, bringing about God's purposes on all the earth, had died. He'd been brutally crucified, murdered by the Romans, with the full backing of the Pharisees. And they're back When life as we know it is thrown into turmoil. It's a human response to start to withdraw, to doubt, to question, and maybe to start to walk away. But something changes for these disciples over the course of this story. As a result of encountering Jesus, their trajectory changes. They change direction. By the end of the account, things have turned around to the extent that they're hurrying back to Jerusalem with their hearts on fire. From the passage, it's clear that a journey is taking place physically as they head from Emmaus, head to Emmaus, and then turn around to go back to Jerusalem. But there's also a journey taking place in their hearts as they go from despondence and discouragement to joy and passion. And before we continue any further in this passage and consider what it might mean for us today, I want to ask you a question. How's your One way or another, this past year would have been 
It reached a point towards the end of last year when I was sat at the table with my wife Sophie one evening. We'd probably just had dinner together and I was telling her how confused I was feeling about work and faith and life and all sorts of things. And she just asked me, Ian, right now, would you say that you're on a trajectory towards Jesus or away from him? And I took a moment to think about that question. And I began to feel a real sadness take over my heart and tears welling up in my eyes. And I just said to her through the tears, every day I just feel like I'm moving further and further away from Jesus. Now I felt embarrassed to say that and I felt ashamed to say that. And to be honest with you, I don't feel great telling you all about it right now. But that was the truth. In that moment, the trajectory of my heart was on a path that was taking me away from Jesus. I'd lost my hope. I'd lost my joy. I was feeling overwhelmed, confused and lost. And I knew in my heart that something wasn't right. That what I was experiencing in the questions and the doubts, that wasn't the path that God had marked out for me. Thank <laughs> you. 
isn't all on us. Jesus is on the move, pursuing us in his love and grace. But my second point is this. We can make good choices. We can make good choices that help us overcome doubt and disillusionment. Now, this doesn't contradict my first point. Like I said, it isn't all on us. But something I've been learning is that I can make good choices that help me get back to Jesus. And I spent too long not making good choices. And as I read through this passage, I see a similarity between some of the choices the disciples made on their journey and some of the choices that I've been learning to make on mine. And I just want to share these with you now. There are four that I'm going to share. Good choice number one, choose to invite Jesus in. There are two ways that you can process your questions and doubts, with Jesus or without him. When Jesus, meet, when Jesus met these two disciples, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? The disciple called Cleopas responded by saying, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there, here in these days? What things, asked Jesus. Jesus is so naughty, isn't he? As if he doesn't know what they were discussing. But he's giving them a choice of whether or not to share their worries and doubts with him. And reading on in verses 19 to 24, we see how they do tell Jesus what's troubling them. They do let Jesus into their disillusionment and process it with him. Skipping down to verses 28 and 29, it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. Jesus is being naughty again here, pretending that he's got somewhere else to be. But again, he's putting the ball in their court. The choice is theirs. They reach Emmaus and they choose to invite Jesus in to stay with them. When we're feeling distant from God and doubts are creeping in, it can become a bit of a vicious cycle where we allow those doubts to take us further and further away from him. And this was certainly true for me. I was questioning all sorts and trying to process things in my own head, which was leading me f into further confusion and disillusionment. But I finally realised that I was taking a to Jesus and talking to him about them. I started to do it. 
With Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was written in all the scriptures concerning himself. Here, Jesus leads the disciples through the greatest Bible study of all time. Just imagine how good that Bible study must have been. Jesus knows that their doubts stem from a lack of understanding about what the scriptures said about the Messiah, how he would be treated and what must happen to him. So he takes them through the Old Testament and he shows them how it points to him. He explains how it speaks about his birth, his life, his death, and also his resurrection. What Jesus showed them in the scriptures revealed something to them that stirred their hearts and began to reignite their faith. Later in verse 32, when they're reflecting on the encounter they've had with Jesus, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? I love that verse because information informs the mind, but revelation sets the heart on fire. And we see that in this verse. Now, today, we can't stand face to face with Jesus in the flesh. We can't invite him into our homes physically like the disciples did. But we can still encounter him in his word. And we can still allow the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and our minds to in order to understand the deep and transformative truth that's found in scripture. Over these last couple of months, I found it really helpful to follow the reading plan in Luke's gospel that we've been using as a church throughout Lent. And just to share one specific example of how Jesus spoke to me through that. One morning when I was reading um, Luke chapter 7, it's the bit in John, it's the bit when John the Baptist is doubting whether Jesus truly is the Messiah. So he sends his disciples out to, out to find out. And as I read that passage and took a moment to reflect on it, I just felt like Jesus was showing me again that it's okay to have questions and okay to have doubts. Even John the Baptist had a moment when he felt confused and doubted. This is the man who prepared the way for Jesus, the man who baptised Jesus. Even he had a moment of doubt and confusion. And I found that such a comforting revelation. It lifted such a weight of shame off my heart. That that was the kindness and goodness of Jesus speaking to me through the scripture by his Holy Spirit. And there were countless other times like that. But that day started with me choosing to be in his word. Okay, good choice number three, choose to journey with others. Twice in this passage, we see these two disciples talking to each other. The first time in verse 15, they're discussing the things that had taken place over the, over the past few days. They're lamenting together. 
The second time is in verse 32. They're reflecting on the encounter they've just had with Jesus and encouraging one another as they share what he's done in their hearts. They're sharing the highs and lows of life together, aren't they? And this is the beauty of life in community. If we isolate ourselves and keep a lid on our personal struggles, it can be easy to start to feel like we're the only ones that are finding things hard. But as soon as we engage with community, in authentic, honest community, we soon realise that we're in this together, that we're not alone. In many, and in many ways, this last year has been an absolute nightmare for community. We've been forced to isolate ourselves, to pull back and not... And we've not been allowed to go into each other's homes, have we? And a byproduct of that is that it's been easy to um, isolate emotionally, to, to isolate ourselves emotionally, to not let others into our lives and just to struggle behind closed doors. And I realised that I was in, in the midst of my struggling, that I was really suffering from a lack of community. I'd become deeply isolated. So I had to push myself. I had to choose to opt in and be intentional about finding people that I could journey with. And I started by being honest and just telling James, our pastor, how I, how I was feeling. And that wasn't easy to, to tell him where I'd got to and where, and how I was doing. And following that, I then asked a good friend, David Pike, who some of you will know from our central site. He's a wise and wonderful man of God. Who, who I've met up with a number of times over the years, but not, but hadn't done for a while. And I asked him if we could spend some time just walking together and talking together to give me some space to process my doubts. I knew that he had been through seasons of his life and he was just able to speak into my situation and encourage me. I also spoke to two friends who I've known since my days at uni and we booked in a weekly Bible study together. 6.45 every Thursday morning on Zoom. And I soon realised that I wasn't alone. My brothers in Christ helped pick me up, dust me off and point me back to Jesus. They didn't judge me or criticise me. They just loved me and encouraged me. So if you're feeling alone, I know that it's hard, but I'd love to encourage you to choose to journey with others. And finally, Good choice number four, choose to worship. It isn't until verse 31 that the disciples finally realise that it's Jesus who's with them. They've invited him to stay the night. And in verse 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. They finally realised that it's Jesus when he gives them the bread, gives thanks, breaks it and, and gives it to them. This moment is reminiscent of the sacred meal he'd shared with his disciples the night before he died. What we now refer to as the Last Supper or, or communion when we take it today. And when I think of communion, I see it as a moment to stop and be in God's presence. A moment to remember and reflect. A moment to recenter my heart and refocus my gaze on Jesus. And that's essentially what a moment of worship is. When these two disciples were sat around the table with Jesus, they had a moment of worship. They had a moment in his presence when everything was recentered and everything came back into focus. 
If revelation sets the heart on fire, worship cultivates that fire and fans it into flames. As I've looked back over the last 12 months, one thing I've realised is how hard I've found it to have moments of worship that have recentered and refocused my heart. I think it was easy to take for granted in a pre-COVID world how fortunate we were to be able to meet together each week and worship together and how important this was for our hearts. But in this last year, we haven't been able to enjoy and embrace corporate worship in the same way, have we? Normally, if we struggled to be intentional about creating space in our week to worship God, at least we could come together on Sunday and worship in community. And in the last few months, I've really noticed the absence of these moments of worship in my own life. And I spoke to Soph about this. And since then, we've been trying to be more intentional about filling our house with worship and surrounding our Thank you. 